Tuesday, June 22nd. Welcome to the programme. How are you keeping today? All good with you? Welcome to the programme. Do drop me a tweet or contact me through the website richieallen.co.uk. Between now and 7 o'clock, great to be with you as always. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, I had a very interesting conversation with Dr. Roger Hodkinson about 90 minutes ago. Roger got his medical degrees at Cambridge University. He's based in Edmonton, Canada these days. He's a Royal College Certified General Pathologist and his thoughts on COVID-19 and vaccines are very interesting indeed and you really need to hear him. Roger Hodkinson will be with me in around about a half an hour. Before that, a news rundown as usual and it's BBG Richie on Twitter. That's how to reach me. If there's anything you'd like to tell me, do it through Twitter or, as I said, through the contact form on richieallen.co.uk. Lovely, lovely. Thanks, by the way, for the correspondence. After Gemma Cooper was on the programme yesterday, the former BBC presenter, it um, meant a lot to many of you to hear her speak about her own experience. Thanks for the feedback. I appreciate it. I understand it. She's had a lot of contacts as well. Good stuff, I say. Good stuff, I say. So let's crack right on. Now, Scotland says, well, Scotland says, Scotland's first minister says that um, Scotland is aiming to remove all of its major legal COVID restrictions in early August. Yes, according to Nicola Sturgeon. She was speaking today in Edinburgh as she confirmed, Holyrood, Holyrood, as she confirmed lockdown easing would be paused for three weeks to allow more time for people to be vaccinated. Because it's a race, you see. It's a race between the virus and the vaccines. It means that mainland areas of Scotland will not move to the lowest level, which is zero, until the 19th of July. And it is hoped that the remaining rules will be lifted on August 9th. Sturgeon said this would allow life in Scotland to return to, wait for it, quote, almost complete normality. Almost, but not quite. Here's the little goblin speaking at lunchtime. At the moment, the high number of new COVID cases being recorded is a significant consideration. To use the race analogy that many have used before, we must not allow the virus to get too far ahead of the vaccines. Therefore, as indicated last week, we intend to maintain the current restrictions applicable in each part of Scotland for the next three weeks. Our assumption, based on recent case numbers, is that current levels will remain in force until the 19th of July, although obviously uh, we continue to keep that under review. Mm, she went on to say, as I said already, the hope is that by August we can lift almost all the restrictions or return life almost to normality. <laughs> now, Matt Hancock, the UK Health Secretary, was doing the media this morning. He popped up everywhere, first of all, on the Radio 4 Today programme. 
where old Matt talks about flu returning because the flu disappeared in the last winter. Winter just gone. Yes. And maybe flu is coming back and maybe it's going to be serious. You heard Boris Johnson, or you may have heard Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, mentioned this yesterday afternoon. Here's Matt Hancock getting the flu jab and the COVID booster jab in the autumn at the same time. We didn't see any other communicable diseases last winter (laughs) in any serious size at all. And so the clinical concern is that our, that flu will make a comeback. Our, nat- our immunity will be lower. Fewer people have had flu. Almost nobody has had flu now for 18 months. In- Almost nobody has had flu for 18 months. Obviously, that's you know, a good thing. But it does mean that the flu vaccination programme this autumn will be even more important. Gangbusters. Last year was the biggest ever because we wanted to protect against flu whilst we were in the grips of the Covid crisis. But we didn't need to, apparently, because flu disappeared because of lockdown. So that was a waste of a flu vaccine rollout, wasn't it? And we are currently doing the work to see whether you can have the Covid booster shot and the flu jab at the same time. So how are you doing that work exactly? Ordinarily, you would need to trial that. Ordinarily, you would have to convince a few hundred fucking idiots to consent to be trialled upon to have the COVID booster and the flu jab at the same time. Is that what you're doing? Now, a woman called Michal Hussein is deaf, dumb and blind in the Radio 4 studio. Oh, she doesn't believe it's her place to ask any questions whatsoever. God, no! We don't do that anymore. Hang on a second, hang on a second there, you gimp. Are you saying you're doing the work now by, by, by saying that, do you mean you're trialling? Jabbing people with a flu jab and a COVID booster? She says nout. And, um, and that will help to manage this this winter, but we do expect this winter to be to be challenging. Yeah. It'll be challenging. Right. Is she going to question any of that? And, and that is a very sobering prospect because, as you say, we haven't had... No! She's just going to double down on it. That's a very sobering prospect, uh, Health Secretary. God, I'm not going to ask a question. haven't had both together. And uh, a, a lot of what policy has been predicated on is the idea that you delay opening up in order to make it irreversible. And yet when you hear about it being a winter like that ahead, you have to wonder if restrictions might well have to come back. Well, what I- a bastard! She's supposed to be challenging this. Now she's suggesting, oh yeah, well that's a bit sobering there, Health Secretary. And when you hear that, well, wow, hmm, you kind of wonder, will restrictions have to come back in the winter? Predicated on is the idea that you delay opening up in order to make it irreversible. And yet when you hear about it being a winter like that ahead, you have to wonder if restrictions might well have to come back. Well, I- God, she's wretched. I hope we don't have to do that. And I hope that we can... And take the steps on... Oh, he didn't say it's not going to happen, did he? Hancock, he never said, no, no, that's not going to happen. Winter like that ahead, you have to wonder if restrictions might well have to come yeah. back. Well, I hope we don't have to do that. And I hope that we can take the steps on the 19th of July that are, that are pencilled in for them because the data is looking encouraging. But then for the winter, uh, I, I hope that with a booster shot, we get that protection against COVID very, very high... Yeah, we're getting over 95% protection against dying from COVID from two 
jabs. Amazing. You get a 95% protection against dying from COVID from two jabs, but your own immune system gives you a 99.7% protection against dying from COVID. The jabs are completely unnecessary. This isn't conjecture now. This is not my nonsense. I can give you plenty of nonsense, and I do sometimes, but this is, this is by their own figures. This is their own data. Yeah, 95% protection if you take out two toxic poisons. But I can tell you, if you don't, your immune system, 99.7%, you're not going to die from COVID. Dabs. Um, very high protection against hospitalisation. Anyway, enough of that for the moment. Uh, Radio 4. So then he moseyed outside the building to do a spot with Skies K. Burley. Car crash television. He went down to the street, Hancock, to a camera, carefully placed there by Sky. So K. Burley throws live to Hancock, who's on the street, but not in front of the camera, where he should be. He's actually situated behind the camera, setting up his own shot. Farcical stuff, but that's kind of amusing as well. In total, more than 31 million people have received both doses of a COVID vaccine. That's nearly 60% of the adult population. Lots to ask then the uh, Health Secretary when he joins us in just a, a few moments' time. I want to ask him about um, social care as well, of course, don't we? Uh, and uh, in addition to that, what he thinks about the Euros. He's joining us now. Hello to you, Mr Hancock. Thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. It's good to see you. We aim at the, at this, at the building. Hello. We, hello, Mr. Hello, Mr Hancock. Hello. Hello. Hello, how are you? Like, uh, we're great. We're live on the telly just at the moment. There we go. Can you hear me okay? Yep. yep. We're live on the telly, Mr Hancock. It's okay, Burley, talking to you. Um, confirmation of two jabs, and potentially that means that we can, straight off the amber list, we don't have to quarantine. When is that going to happen? Oh, good stuff. This is important now. So, if you get two jabs, you don't have to quarantine. Well... This hasn't been clinically advised yet. We're working on it uh, and we're working on plans to, uh, to, to essentially allow the vaccine to bring back some of the freedoms that have had to be restricted to keep people safe. I mean, after all, that's the whole purpose of the vaccination programme. It's why it's so important that everybody who, every adult goes out and gets the jab. And if you've had one jab, that you go and, that you go and get two, because that's where the full protection comes from. Yeah. The whole purpose of the vaccination programme is to restore freedoms, a point he doubled down on a moment later. Well, we'll get there when it's safe to do so. We want to do this right. We want to do this carefully and properly. Uh, but of course, we do want to get those freedoms back. That's the whole point of the vaccination programme. So, We do want to get those freedoms back. And that's the whole point of the vaccination programme. Yes, jabs to freedom. The jabs restore your freedoms. That's the mantra. It's repeated over and over and over again because they wanted to embed itself in your skull. You can't have freedom unless you have a jab. You want to be free? Have a jab. It's also very important for them that we believe in long COVID. Talked about this briefly yesterday. And long COVID is being talked up big time on, uh, well, on, on a lot of programmes today. Man Hancock's Long Covid. 
Yeah, long COVID. Is there a definition of it, is there? Long COVID. Apparently some COVID sufferers go on to suffer from lethargy and weakness and, I don't know, general feeling of being unwell and weak and all that for, well, for quite a long time, if you believe it. And they're very keen that we believe in long COVID. Here's a woman called Deepti Gurdasani. Deepti. Deep tea. She's a clinical epidemiologist and was speaking to BBC World News about, you've guessed it, long COVID. That's the thing about long COVID. It's not something that's limited to people with severe illness or people who are hospitalised. We see this in people who had mild uh, symptoms initially. And for example, the Office for National Statistics survey shows that about 13% of people who just had infection, whether it was mild or even asymptomatic at the beginning, can go on and develop uh, symptoms uh, for 12 weeks or more in about 13% of people, which is a really significant number. And, you know, it's not something that lasts for a short period of time. Uh, Among the million people in the UK who we think are impacted now, about 400,000 are people who've had symptoms for one year or more. And that's how debilitating it can be. And two thirds of those one million people have some impact on their day-to-day functioning. Hmm. Right. She goes on to say a little bit more about it. Most of the people who've been affected are actually young people. So in the age group of 35 to 69 years of age, uh, and those people are at highest risk with about one in five developing symptoms uh, for five weeks or more. So this is something that needs close attention. And unfortunately, those symptoms are often coupled with um, imaging findings, for example, in the brain. If if we understand anything, it's that young people um, and women are at higher risk, but anyone can get it. Uh, People who have sort of poor baseline health are also at higher risk, but we know that they're completely fit and healthy people can who can get it. So everyone is at risk, which is exactly why we shouldn't be focusing on just hospitalizations and deaths. We really need to keep infection down in populations because this is not a virus we want to expose people to, given that the long-term impact can be really severe and we don't even understand these effects yet. And Dr. Gurdasani, in the very little time we have left, what has proven to be the most effective treatment for long COVID? Wait for Long COVID. We don't know yet. <laughs> yet, I think we need to understand the mechanisms better rather than having sort of just broad treatments focused on nutrition, rehabilitation and counselling. Unless counseling. we understand the mechanism. Did she say counselling? Uh, long COVID, uh, young people and women are susceptible to it, more susceptible, but not just young people and women. Everybody is susceptible to it. We're all susceptible to it. It's very debilitating. It's terrible. Uh, what's the treatment for it? We don't know. We haven't a clue. Uh, but counselling apparently might help. Counselling might help with long COVID, yeah. Sort of just broad treatments, focus on nutrition, rehabilitation and counselling. Unless we understand the mechanisms, it's going to be very hard to target this because as we know, it's a very heterogeneous syndrome. Very heterogeneous syndrome, said Deep D. That's cultural appropriation there. Either that or it's just naked racism, I don't know. Hasn't a Scooby-Doo. But you know, they let these people run riot on the BBC and say whatever they want. I'd love the opportunity to do that, not to be the presenter, just to have the same opportunity to go on the BBC and just just let them out go and just say whatever I want without interruption, without any challenges. Wonderful stuff. 15 minutes past five on this glorious Tuesday afternoon in, well, in Salford anyway, the 22nd of June. That's the one, 2021. Bente, bente uno. Bente, bente uno. Gracias. De nada. Weightlifting then, Laurel Hubbard. The fallout continues. Laurel Hubbard. Laurel Hubbard is a big is a great big bloke who thinks that he's a, a Sheila. 
So, no, that's Australia, isn't it? They say Sheila. Laurel is a New Zealander. Laurel Hubbard will be representing New Zealand women in the weightlifting in the Olympics, in their weightlifting, in some category. 80 kilograms or something. I have no idea. But, but Laurel will be. I love the congratulations from the New Zealand Olympic Committee. <laughs> After great consideration, we've decided to say, yes, Laurel can go and join the women in the old weightlifting. Fantastic. Anyway, fallout continues. Harriet Harman is a former deputy leader of the Labour Party. And she was a Blair chick, wasn't she? She certainly was. She was much more than that back in the day. So she was. So speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer on talk radio about trans women men let's be clear men competing against women you will hear Julia Hartley Brewer first making a point about her daughter and rugby at the end of the day I don't want my daughter playing say rugby against a biological male that's not safe for her is it but that's that issue about um, how you decide whether somebody is male or female in sport um, is one which is a very difficult one for the sports authorities. It's to not, no, but it's not, but it's not for most well, people. It always has been. No, if you are, if you are born, if you are born with with a penis, you're with a tallywhacker. Yes, you're male, and if you're born with a vagina, you're female. It's it's quite simple, actually. It is, isn't it? Well, um, it's it's not that simple, actually. It is. really and is that, that simple. You can change your identity. You can live your life as the opposite sex. You can have any treatment you want. But a man, if you are born a biological male and you've gone through puberty, you have the muscle mass and the testosterone levels previously of a man, you have an advantage over women. Simple as that. Well, in many situations, it is not as simple as that. Um, and I think that, you know, we should be careful to ensure that everybody can have equality and not be discriminated against. Including um, women. And, not, and including women and including trans people. And I, you know, whether it's gay rights or racial equality, um, I want us all to be uh, championing those who are facing oppression, not actually arguing amongst ourselves. Well, it's all, it's all very well, but a glorious sitting of that fe on that fence, Harriet Harman, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to, at some point, you're going to have to come down on one side or the yes. other. Yes, get off that fence, Harman, before you get splinters in your arse. Eventually, you're going to have to pick a side, said Julia Hartley Brewer. Well, we know the side you'll pick, Harriet Harman. 19 minutes past five. Interest in one or two things of interest, or one or two articles of interest, on richieallen.co.uk. Do check it out. Check it out. That is my website. That's mine. It's all mine. The President of the Philippines, do you see this? He addressed the nation last night. I don't have the audio because he's speaking Filipino. I don't know if that's how you say it. He's speaking Filipino language. And he basically told the nation that if they refused a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, they'd be chucked into prison. He left no room for ambiguity, did uh, the president Rodrigo Duterte. 
Duterte. Speak Spanish, do they? In the Philippines. I know it's great, isn't it? I just, I, I could, I could Google, I Google, I could use a search engine. I could use Wikipedia and pretend to have a big brain like I know everything. But I don't. I know very little at the best of times. Is it Spanish in the Philippines? Sounds like it. Rodrigo Duterte. Anyway, uh, leaving no room for ambiguity, he said, you choose, right? Choose between the vaccine or going to prison. Choose vaccine or I will have you jailed. If you are a person who is not vaccinated, you are a potential carrier. But you could be a carrier anyway, if you believe, well, Bill Gates and the World Health Organization and, and Chris Whitty. So he's talking through his sphincter, isn't he? Really, is this guy. Um, 110 million people live in the Philippines. Only 2.1 million people have said yes to the jabs. Schools remain closed there. And he's exasperated, is Duterte. He wants these people to be jabbed, God damn it! But they're not having it. More power to the Filipinos. Filipinas, Filipinos, Filipinas. And Ian Dale makes me laugh. This guy is a real non-entity, a no-mark, right? This is Ian Dale, former Tory, stood for the Conservative Party twice, I think, at least. He couldn't get arrested, let alone get elected. Absolutely useless. He's as useless as tits on a boar. He really is. And when you're that useless, they just send you to LBC Radio. And from there, he's been championing lockdown for most of the last year. Described himself as a pro-lockdown hawk. No sense of irony does... uh, No sense of irony does this guy, Ian Dale, because he was given a column in the Telegraph today and he lamented, lamented so he did, the... Irrational lockdown. I can no longer support the irrational lockdown. Well, dipstick, if you'd have done your job last year and not been a lockdown hawk, actually asked some questions of your butties, your bum chums in the Conservative Party and stuck it to them, maybe you wouldn't be in this situation now, pal. Those uh, articles, if you want to call them that, can be read at richieallen.co.uk. Do, by the way, tweet me. It's BBG Richie. You can reach me through the website too, richieallen.co.uk. I think I've got a couple of messages. Do me a favour, people. I mean, we're through the looking glass here, people. When you're writing me messages through my website, give some consideration to the fact that somebody has got to read the bloody things. Here's an example from Christine. Christine, forgive me for what I'm about to do. Humiliate you on 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 nobody radio. Richie, long COVID, a neighbour on my street took ME out of yuppie flu. Is that long yuppie? Joking aside, Christine, what the fuck does that mean? I want you to write that again. In language I can read out where it makes sense. I think you're making the point that ME has been around for years and years and years and years. Maybe you're making that point, I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's a Tuesday, and I'm a bit of a grumpy bastard on a Tuesday. I don't know why. Tuesday it is. Anyway. Hi to Mike, who says, Richie, I've been suffering long COVID since 1995. Luckily, I've been asymptomatic the whole time. (laughs) Mike is in North County Down, or, as they would say, North County Down. County Down. Whatever that means. County dine. Right, it's 23 minutes past five. I've insulted my listeners enough by now, I think. It might be time to take a tune. Did I even line up a tune? Did I? No, of course I didn't. Jesus, that'd be 
Should that be just professional, wouldn't it? Let me drag a tune. It could be anything now. Could be any blooming thing. As I said a little bit earlier on, we will be joined, hopefully. I spoke to him about 90 minutes ago. A man called Dr. Roger Hodkinson. You will know he made the national news late last year because he expressed his learned opinion on face masks, on vaccines, on COVID-19. And of course, the media did what the media does. It went for him pretty strongly. Okay. What have we got then? Ah, sure, go on. Bit of salmon, Dave. Ah, sure, go on. Why not? Tuesdays or a show. Richie Allen live from Salford here in the northwest of the UK. About a mile from Media City. That's where the devil is. Soul Man. Sam and Dave and Soul Man on the Richie Allen Show. 26 minutes past five. The boss of Tinder has been telling anybody who will listen today that COVID has changed how we swipe right. Now, I've never used Tinder. That's because I've been in a relationship for 19 years. It'll be 19 years next month. Yes. So Tinder was never any use to me. I know some of you scallies who cheat on your wives are saying, Yeah, right, Baldy. I bet you're on there all the time. I'm not really. Never. There's a few dating apps, right? So this guy says, uh, Tinder boss says, uh, Well, uh, we'll be COVID has changed how people are using the app. <laughs> the approach to matchmaking is no longer enough. Swipe left or swipe swipe right. So you see somebody and you think, nah, see so you swipe left or swipe right. How does it work? Do you swipe left if you want to put them in the baby pile and swipe right if you don't like them? How does it work? Help me out here. Some of you singletons, tell me. Tell me now, be cheapers. And, uh, and educate me on Tinder. Anyway, so this guy says, look, People are using it now, and they're not just swiping left and right. They used to match uh, in order to meet in real life. That's how it used to be. Tinder, right? You match up with somebody, then you meet in real life. But that has changed, because virtual dating has become the norm in lockdowns. Now Tinder is shifting towards a more, wait for it, quote, holistic approach. So shifting towards more holistic profiles, so users can get to know each other better online. New changes reflect their desire to swipe, possibly. So he gave an interview to uh, BBC Trend. And he said that Generation Z users in their late teens and early 20s make up more than half of Tinder's users. They're getting serious now on Tinder about the things they want to know about people. This is where it's all going, you see. It was a shallow enough thing to begin with. You know, you looked at somebody, you thought, she's attractive, he's attractive. Yeah, that's for me. I'll do the appropriate swiping. Now he says, this guy, they want to know a lot more about you. Obviously, whether you've been jabbed. And of course, this will move on. Are you socially responsible? Are you carbon neutral? And all of this sort of jazz. This is how it's going to be. God be with the days when you had to physically walk up to a girl. And risk abject humiliation, which happened, of course. It, all, it always happened. It happened plenty of times. You actually had to do it in a disco or at a dance. I'm a bit young for dances, but I did go to discos. And the blokes all standing around, holding their pints and with their arms folded, 
desperately trying to avoid revealing anything about themselves, terribly nervous. That's the way it used to be, but now, God, no. Now they're doing it online through any number of dating apps. Right, it's uh, nearly half five. I'm waiting to hear from Roger Hodkinson, doctor, if you please, uh, who I spoke with a short time ago. He's agreed to come on with me to chat about, uh, well, a lot of things. As of yet, he's not there. So I'll tell you what I'll do, just to double check on him. I'll take another tune, sort him out, I'll sort him out. Either that or we'll do something else, all right? Okay. Here's Steve Earle, accompanied by the Pogues, and a terrific tune, Johnny Come Lately. I'm an American boy. Music from Steve Earle and uh, Johnny Come Lately on the Richie Allen Show, 27 minutes to 6 o'clock. Tuesday's programme from a balmy Salford Scorchio in Salford. A Scorchio in Salford is about 19 degrees at the best of times. Welcome back to the programme. Skype, excuse me, uh, tweet me, it's BBG Richie. Send a message to the programme through the website richieallen.co.uk. Had a really nice chat with my guest about an hour and a half ago. I'm really glad that he's come on the programme. We're going to have an extended conversation about a lot of things. He got his medical degrees in Cambridge University. Uh, He was a scholar at Corpus Christi College. He's done residencies at places like the University of British Columbia and became a Royal College Certified General Pathologist there, a fellow of the College of American Pathologists too, in very good standing with the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta in Canada. I'm delighted to welcome to the programme Dr. Roger Hodkinson. Roger, thanks so much for coming on today and it must be said at pretty short notice too. Welcome to the programme. Richie, it's nice, nice to get to know you. I hope, I hope the connection works. Well, it sounds beautiful. It sounds like you're in the room, Roger. Uh, it was nice hearing earlier that you've got connections to Salford. I understand your family um, spent some time here some years ago, although they wouldn't recognise it now. So you do have a connection to the city. <laughs> yes, yes, I, uh, yes, I did. Um, and uh, but I, I was. Um, I didn't leave Britain. I was kicked out. I didn't. I didn't like it in the seventies, and I like it even less now. I came to a country that I thought was better, and now it's going down the drain as well. So, um, where is it to go? <laughs> Fair enough. We read about you last year because you were among a number of physicians and scientists, all distinguished, and you've had a very distinguished career who were attacked by the legacy media because you dared to deviate from the official narrative on things like face masks and lockdowns and, and vaccines. And that can't be easy, Roger. I, I, however experienced you might be, however thick your skin might be, it can't be easy when you've spent your career doing good, trying to do good, to be attacked like that. How did you deal with it? Well, you know, with the doctor title, I'm old enough to to understand medical ethics. Um, the doctor title conveys a lot of um, status and income and uh, and respect from the general public. That's uh, because of our ethical training, what used to be an ethical training. And I, I hold those those ethics very close to my heart. I've lived my entire life in evidence-based medicine, doing everything you could think of, leadership roles, teaching, academia. I'm now the chairman of an American biotechnology company in 
DNA sequencing, for example. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of stuff in my career, and but it's always been driven by by medical ethics. And and you, you can't stand by you, you're you get the title because you put humanity before yourself. And if, if you see something terrible happening on your watch, if you don't stand up and and be vocal, you become part of the problem. And I, I could never live with myself if uh, if I looked back on my career and felt that I was silent. So that's why I'm speaking up. It's a it's a deep, deep ethical responsibility. Silence, not an option. I like that, Roger. And when when you go back to the very beginning of this late winter, early spring last year, were you acutely aware very early that something was very wrong in terms of something was wrong with what we were being told by scientists, well, I should say government scientists and politicians? Were you very early on, were you concerned? You know, I, absolutely. I mean, you, you know that saying, there's something smelly in the state of Denmark. Um, yeah. I, I, I can smell bad signs a mile away on a, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, so, it's so screamingly obvious. Um, I'm the only person internationally, to my knowledge, of any, any prominence with, with, um, with the media. I mean, the only person internationally saying this, nothing works. If, if we understand that masks don't work and social distancing doesn't work and travel bans don't work and lockdowns most certainly don't work, well, guess what? Nothing works. Why isn't anyone else saying that? It's so screamingly obvious. The general public need to hear arguments boiled down to a three-second soundbite. Nothing works, period. And so that's what politicians, you see, have to get their minds around. You, you cannot wrestle this thing to the ground. It's utterly impossible. We have to learn to accommodate to it, just like we have done with previous flu epidemics, very efficiently, with great responsibility, without any involvement of government whatsoever. No testing, period. And it worked. And we built natural herd immunity the, the better way. Um, so yeah, that's that's really what's that's really what's going on in a in a macro sense. It's nothing worse than a bad seasonal flu with certain nuances, and and we can talk about the statistics later. That is borne out by something that the, the England's chief medical officer Chris Whitty, on two occasions last year, I, I do have the soundbite, but I won't play it because I want to hear you. We've heard enough of Chris Whitty, but to paraphrase him accurately. Whitty said, most people won't get this. Of those who do get it, most won't become seriously ill. Of those who do become seriously ill, only a tiny percentage of those will need, you know, emergency treatment or, or will, will need to go to an ICU. And even then, only a tiny percentage will pass away. Now, those were his exact words. That, to me, sounds like something that is akin to seasonal flu. Yet they try to destroy you. For, for offering that opinion, even though Witty and others are on the record as telling us that COVID won't affect the great majority of people in the UK or anywhere else. No, absolutely. The, the working well, as I call them, uh, are not dying in any greater numbers than they have with previous flu epidemics. In fact, in previous, previous flu epidemics, uh, a larger number of children died. Children die of the flu every year. And in all of North America, um, there's not been a single death in a child under 19 who did not also have some serious underlying disease. 
So in, in a grand scheme of things, um, you know, you do not shut down the global economy with trillions of dollars lost uh, that have to be repaid at some point in the future by our children. You don't shut down the global economy to save granny in the nursing home because granny in the nursing home can be protected by many other ways than an experimental vaccine. What should they have done, uh, Roger? By the way, it's Dr. Roger Hodkinson, folks, live from Edmonton in Canada. What should they have done, knowing that there was a respiratory illness in circulation? What would you do yourself as a physician to make it, to make it more um, comfortable for senior citizens, to give them a better chance if they contracted it? What sort of things should they have done? Well, it's actually not rocket science um, without the vaccine uh, and older people. You know, the vaccine was never tested in old people and they, they're yeah. giving it, you know, with gay abandon um, and they're dying like flies from it. Um, no, this is what I would have done if I was the Minister of Health. First of all, the recognition that um, these places are actually uh, have four walls and a door. They People in those institutions, nursing homes, whatever, they're already quarantined. They have been for years. And therefore, by definition, by absolute definition, they're all vitamin D deficient. So that would be the first thing that should have been done to give them vitamin D as an incredible uh, protector against COVID and also very effective at treating it if you get it. Dirt cheap, uh, absolutely non-toxic in a population that was already profoundly deficient. Um, because we now know that vitamin D has profound effects on the immune system, not just on calcium and bone metabolism, to two totally different functions. Um, that's the first thing. And when you say that, by the way, it's so easy to be labeled a quack because you're talking about vitamins and all that not supplement nonsense. No, no, not at all. This is mainstream medical medicine, uh, ma mainstream medical medicine. And the lead proponent of that internationally actually is in your neck of the woods. Uh, Dr. David Grimes, um, who actually was one of my best friends at school years ago, a retired gastroenterologist. He's been taking on uh, witty on the vitamin D front, um, and he's he lives um, not very far away from you. Um, he has a blog. Everyone should visit that. So that's the first thing, vitamin D. Uh, the second thing is, on the shelf of every nursing home, there's a, a manual getting dusty. It's called the Infection Control Manual. I suggest they take it off the shelf, dust it off, and read the damn thing. It's a, it's a very established, many, many established ways of avoiding cross-infection in institutions. It's how we control superbugs in hospital, for example. That's also not being implemented. The other things, of course, are um, sensible educational programs for the staff who may not be familiar with the infection control manual. Those, those things should all be done. But at the end of the day, um, the statistics that you should tell Granny um, are quite different from the statistics that she's appreciating from, you know, whoever. For example, I could walk in one morning and I, should, I could say to Granny uh, with a rather glum face, uh, I could say to Granny, you know what, Granny? It's true, you've got COVID. And your risk of dying of this is four times greater than it was with the flu. And Granny would say, that sounds pretty grim, doesn't it, Doc? What the hell are we going to do? On the other hand, I could walk in and say to see Granny and with a smile on my face, 
And I could say to Granny, good morning, Granny. Yeah, I got to tell you, it's true you've got COVID. But remember when you got the flu last year? You survived very well, didn't you? Because you had a 99% chance of surviving. Well, this time you've you've got a 96% chance of surviving. And Granny would say to me, well, that sounds pretty good, Doc. What, what are we worried about? You see how the, the at every turn, the government is ramping up fear instead of assuaging people that there really isn't too much to worry about. So that fear has a physio... The fear-mongering, some people call it fear porn, that we did see a lot of on UK television and radio. You think that definitely has a physiological effect on the senior citizen in the care home who's hearing that? I I don't think it has a physiologic effect, um, but uh, isolation certainly has an effect. Uh, it's very clear that, you know, people who are who have Alzheimer's, for example, a lot of people in nursing homes, if you isolate them without COVID or anything else at all, isolation causes people with dementia to go into a death spiral. And we, we don't know why, but it's it's just a medical reality. So, yeah, they, they could have been looked after and should still be looked after so much better than is than is presently taking place. And then, of course, if they do um, start showing signs of real COVID, let's assume for a minute that the the test is is truly positive, which, of course, is is highly suspect. Um, there are medications that many people believe are effective. They've not had the ultimate random clinically uh, controlled trials. That's true, but they are very safe. I'm talking about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine here. They are very safe. Many people believe, like Tess Laurie um, from a meta-analysis, many people believe that they are very effective and physicians should be allowed to prescribe them because it's not going to do any harm and it will probably do a lot of good. But that is being prohibited by the regulatory authorities. Tess was so, on this programme. Tess was on this programme about six, eight or ten weeks prior to, to this. And Roger, she was was absolutely horrified. And I'm observing this, you know, as a journalist. I'm observing this, this same reaction in clinicians, physicians and scientists, such as you and your colleagues. This bewilderment that you've done all this work all the evidence is there that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine works, and yet she cannot get arrested, let alone get an audience with an MP or, or a government minister. It's, this, is, this must astonish you, this stuff. It's, it's the people that are, people that are denying uh, access to those medications yeah. are culpable of the grossest form of medical malpractice, because it's not just one-on-one, doctor-on-patient, it's the system on society. And we've got to constantly remind ourselves that any of these actions to prevent COVID or to treat COVID, they are medical decisions. They're not political decisions. The politicians are the effector arm of of a medical matter. And we have politicians playing medicine which I've said publicly, is an extraordinarily dangerous game. They're really screwing up. And the motivation for that, of course, is is multiple. But one of the principal things is that in this new environment of 
you know, having to be woke, um, having to protect everyone from every conceivable risk in life because I am your trustworthy leader. You know, they want to dress themselves in the flag, wrestle this virus to the ground so that there isn't a single particle left on Earth and claim that they're responsible for it. Well, they're dreaming in technicolor. You, you cannot control this virus. It's utterly impossible. They have to get their minds around the fact that medicine is totally impotent at it. And what we have to do, as the Great Barrington Declaration implied, is basically live life normally and protect those at a, who are vulnerable. The, as the Great Barrington Declaration said, uh, focus protection. That is it. That was the only thing that needed to be done. Question that begs to be asked is, do you believe that the scientists who advised the UK government last year and who continue to do it today, do you believe that they know that which you know? And if they do, namely they, they know that masks are ineffective, they know that social distancing doesn't work, they know that lockdowns are terrible, and they know that ivermectin, amongst other treatments, um, is, is viable. Do they know that? And if they do, what are the implications of that? Because we're in sinister territory then, Roger, right? Oh, they're, they're not stupid. They know that for sure. Absolutely. What, what has happened here is they, they've dug themselves into a, in, into, a, into a corner here with the initial reactions. And, and can't, you know, the first rule in politics is never say you're sorry, never say I was wrong. Um, and, you know, that's been, that's been the general um, operating principle. You know, if this doesn't work, double down on it, just like Fauci. You know, if one mask doesn't work, wear two, or I could say wear 10. And of course, if you wear 10, I guarantee you, you'll never get COVID because you'll be dead of hypoxia. Yeah. So they, they've just kept on doubling down on the idiocy because their political masters have been putting them under great pressure to support um, the, the, the rea reality that their reputations are on the line if they say, I was wrong. So you put so more it, of the blame it, it, on the politicians than those who advise them, because if you know as well as I do, Roger, it's Dr. Roger Hodkinson, by the way, if you've just joined the programme. Roger, you know that if a government minister was here today, they would say, well, doctor, with the greatest respect, we listen to them, the SAGE committee, the 30 or 40 advisors, and we make our decisions based on what they say. We're not doctors. That's what they would say. Let, let, let me tell you, Richie, how medicine actually works, as opposed to what people, how people think it works. Um, medicine is now increasingly controlled by a bunch of woke um, academics who lived their entire life brown nosing, um, constantly afraid of their own shadow because they want promotion, they want a grant. And everyone is in lockstep. Um, yeah. They cannot veer from the path uh, in case they get ostracized by their immediate colleagues who are all of the same ilk. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a monstrous way um, medicine has been morphed by these colleges and regulatory bodies into into being controlled because the controllers um, are all there because 
they've lived their life constantly agreeing with the guy above them. Right. That's how they got promoted. That's how Witty got his job, because he'd always said yes to the guy above him. It's ingrained. They're, they're, they're so fearful of being different. That's the bunch of docs that's now controlling the profession and the bunch of docs that's advising government. They're totally unrepresentative. Anti-science. It sounds like anti-science, that. Just going along to get along. Don't ask any questions and don't move the medical debate forward at all. Just stick with the consensus. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Petrified of their own shadow. You know, they, they, will, ne- they will never stand up and take a step. They will never stand up. No, no, that, that's not, not going to happen in a month of Sundays. <laughs> I invited John to talk about a number of things and you, you very kindly said that you'd, you'd give us an hour. So Dr. Roger Hodkinson will be with us at least until 6.30. Again, I'm grateful, Roger, because I, it is not, you know, that I'm bowing down at the altar of medicine here at all. But it's nice of you to, uh, to come back to us so quick with, um, with such short notice. I'm glad you're on. And there are many questions coming in on Twitter. Many questions. Questions about vaccine safety. We're going to talk, of course, about the plans to vaccinate children. The Joint Committee on Vaccines and Immunisation has yet to give its recommendation on, on, on children. It's apparently imminent. We can, we can certainly talk about that. I heard this afternoon, just before coming on air, I heard another BBC anchor or, or Sky News presenter saying 128,000 deaths uh, people who died within 28 days of testing positive for COVID. I don't have a medical degree. I don't have anything like it. I don't know anything about medicine. I really don't. But I'm not stupid. I'm a journalist. I'm a graduate. I know how to research and I know when I'm being sold a red herring. That That's nonsense, isn't it? 128,000 within uh, testing positive, dying within 28 days of testing positive. If anything is anti-science, Roger... Surely that is. I'm a pathologist. Of Let me say something with um, absolute authority. Death happens. Get used to it. It's not a callous statement. It's obvious. People are dying all the time in large numbers of metastatic cancer, of terminal heart disease, renal failure. And so many of these deaths are not dying due to COVID. They're dying with a positive test for the PCR test, positive test of a virus particle having been found in their nose. That does not mean they died due to COVID at all. It's a warping of the statistics to maintain fear. When you look at the reporting, it's amazing that the number of people dying of cancer and heart disease has fallen off the map. (laughs) Well, let me assure everyone again, uh, COVID does not cure cancer. These deaths are being misclassified. They're being misclassified for fear, for the purposes of fear. Do you mean fear so that we will continue to to obey the restrictions? Precisely. Precisely. There, there, are, there are two major drivers of fear. The first one is this utterly ridiculous concept of testing asymptomatic people 
the working well, as I call them, with a notoriously bad test that's resulting in 95% or so of the results being absolutely gar absolute garbage, false positives. And th those people, of course, have contact tracing and take out 10 times more. So, but the point is that that, that so-called incidence of cases, which of course is no such thing, in medicine, we call a case someone who's actually sick in front of us. That's another morphing of the English language to drive fear. These are not cases at all. They're simply people with pulse, false positive results from something in their snot. And snot has billions of viruses and bacteria in it all the time. So the first driver of fear is the ridiculous graph in the morning paper showing the, the this this peak which should be reduced by about 95%. So people are fearful because of that. And the fear could only be countered by information. Now, the second driver of fear is therefore the total absence of any counter narrative because of the brutally efficient suppression of anything that is based on science as opposed to hearsay, arbitrary measures that they're introducing. The, the three major sources of, of information for the general public are, of course, politicians who, who are absent at the, at the, at the switch. Um, the journalists, we all know the mainstream media is totally woke and will not publish anything along those lines. But more importantly, physicians who are the ultimate source of some dependable information, and they are being viciously suppressed under threat of losing your income. So here we have um, government fueling fear uh, in so many ways, distortion of the English language, um, ridiculous uh, PCR testing, um, talking about mutants as if they're coming out of the plug holes in the wall to, to strangle you. I mean, it, they're driving fear knowingly, knowingly. Now to, they're doing that to try to get you, the useful, useful idiots, to, to be vaccinated, to get them off the hook that they created in the first place with a, a pseudo pan, a pseudo epidemic. Um, we are being used by them to get them off the hook that they created. Doctor, so that, that's the most that's the most sinister series of events you could possibly imagine. And there are those amongst us, some of them very learned people, who believe that there is an agenda to create a different type of society in the near future, where surveillance would be would be greater, where controls on people, on their movements, would be tighter. We might touch on that uh, shortly. I just want to remind our listeners, because it's six o'clock here in uh, in Salford. It's, um, it must be 11 o'clock then in Edmonton in Canada. Dr. Roger Hodkinson, who's um, uh, a doctor and a pathologist and a very respected doctor and pathologist, is on the programme, giving us a different account of what's been going on for the last 15 months. Can you clear something up for us, please, Roger? Asymptomatic transmission. Is, is it a real that, thing? That, very simple. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it's, an, it's an oxymoron in, in medicine. Um, people who are sick have enough bugs in their body uh, to make them sick. It's a, it, you, you cannot transmit something if you're not sick because you don't have enough bugs in your nose and, and upper respiratory tract to do it. 
Um, it, it's simply it's simply obvious, it, and it's been shown to be so. No, asymptomatic transmission does not happen with any frequency that's worth considering. So the testing of healthy people is, well, redundant. It's, ab- it's absolutely mad. Why would you do it? Why would you do it? People are feeling perfectly well. You don't want to treat them on the basis of a false positive test that's 95, 99% wrong. Um, Why would you spend all this money testing people for which you're not going to do anything except destroy society because of taking them and all their contacts out of the workforce? Why would you do that? It's absolute madness. Yeah, every scientist and every general practitioner I've spoken with myself in the last 15 months are are in agreement with you about asymptomatic transmission. They can't understand it. Let's talk about vaccines then. And I want to say this because there will be new listeners now based on the fact that Dr. Roger Hodkinson is here. And some of them, they won't be too fond of programmes like this or fond of um, Dr. Roger Hodkinson. So I want to say this. I've never been anti-vaccines myself as a journalist ever. I've been concerned in recent years at how many they've added to the schedule for youngsters. Things I'm not sure that children maybe need to get. And I know that vaccine injuries do occur. So I'm not overly fond of vaccines, but I've never been an anti-vaxxer. But I'm really, I'm not going to have any of these treatments, Roger. And I'm, I'm not for, for some of the reasons you've outlined. I don't believe I'm in any real danger from coronavirus. I think I might have even had it last year, whatever it is. And these treatments are still in trial. That's not me making that up. That's the truth. They've also been given emergency use authorization by the government and they've indemnified the companies who made them against any claims should they do any harm. And I think, and I'm always careful about making bold statements because I shouldn't do that as a responsible broadcaster, but I think evidence is emerging around the world that these treatments are causing harm. I'm going to shut up and let you take over to talk to us about your feelings about the speed with which these treatments or vaccines came to be, came into being, and whether we ought to be concerned about having them. Well, just like you, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I take vaccines myself. They have an enormous um, place in public health, and I'm very much in favor of them. I don't believe that a measles vaccine causes autism, for example. Um, I'm not in that group at all. Uh, I don't believe that this is a great conspiracy theory internationally. Um, What I do believe is that uh, the great resetters that want to control society, as you described, um, this unexpected opportunity dropped in their laps and they're exploiting it to the hilt, despicably so. Um, It was an accidental release from that lab. Uh, That wasn't intentional either. No, there's no big conspiracy here. But the, you know, like the Americans say, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, There there are people manipulating the crisis uh, in in order to further their their political objectives. Um, But with respect to the vaccine itself, um, everyone must realize that this whole madness is predicated upon one singular statement, that this was an emergency. Well, it was not. 
after that clown at Imperial College London, uh, Neil Ferguson was put in his place and it was shown that his numbers were yet again notoriously wrong. Yeah. Um, this is no worse than a bad seasonal flu with a few nuances. And it therefore is not an emergency. And if it's not an emergency, there is no predicate for making doing emergency vaccinations with an untested vaccine that's only been tested on the working well, not tested on children, on pregnant women, on immunosuppressed people, on elderly people. No. Why would we do this? Normally, vaccines are given a five to seven year period to identify things that could be adverse reactions. You know, you, you, the bottom line is you don't know what you don't know. That's the whole reason we do clinical trials. And lo and behold, coming out of the woodwork now, every day we're seeing additional evidence of complications that were unanticipated. But beyond the known events, which are very worrying, especially for children, myocarditis in particular, we have the additional worry, which is very serious in my opinion, unproven, but with reasonable scientific support to be worried, namely infertility in both males and females. We could talk about how that might uh, might happen if you wish. But why would you do something on this scale internationally, injecting an unsafe product into billions of arms because it's not needed in the first place and it's totally unsafe? It's the biggest madness ever recorded in not just medical history, but I think in human history. It's on a scale that's unimaginable. And let's all cross our fingers. And unfortunately, that's what we have to do. I hope I'm wrong. But let's all cross our fingers that there is no effect on fertility. We just don't know. Normally takes five, six, seven years, doesn't it? Maybe a bit longer. Exactly. Yeah. I just want to make this point because some of my listeners are making it and there's real huge interest in you being on the programme and a lot of people very happy that um, you're, you're, you're here and you're answering these questions. We have had people on the show, um, also learned and qualified people. They agree with pretty much everything you said, but they have gone a bit further in what they believe You know, this might be all about or where it might be leading. Uh, just, I just want to make that point. You might say, why are you making that point? But I'm just making that point because our listeners are making it. But th that's what the programme is here for. We get the gamut of opinions on this programme. Dr. Roger Hodkinson is our guest. I'm very fond of Dolores Cahill from University College Dublin. Now, I say that. I've never met her. I've interviewed her three or four times. I don't know if Dolores is right. How could I? I know nothing. But I know people, I'm a good journalist, I've done everything in journalism, television, production, that I'm good at what I do. And I know when people are pulling my leg, Roger, I know that Dolores Cahill means it. And I know that others like her mean it when they say that the mRNA vaccines might prime our immune systems in such a way that in the future when we encounter viruses, innocuous viruses maybe, that it could cause, not for everybody, but for, for some or many people, it could cause their immune systems, I think they call this antibody-dependent 
enhancement maybe or pathogenic priming, that this is something that's very serious and could be, well, fatal for people in the future. Um, like I said, how could I endorse that? But of course, as a, as a lay person, I'm very worried when I hear things like that. I know you will have heard that argument or that point of view. Do you have any opinion on it? Yes, I, I, I disagree with Dolores in, in many respects. So I, don't th- I don't want to go down those rabbit holes. Okay. I'm not trying to demean her. But I certainly do agree with her on the possibility of um, antibody-dependent enhancement. Uh, we've not been going long enough to see that. Um, it typically is on the re-exposure to an event that may only be six months downstream when we hit the fall again. Um, the, the autumn again. Uh, so th- there's not been any evidence of it, um, obviously, yet. Um, it, it could happen in the future. It was certainly a very serious um, risk um, for introducing this vaccine because in animal studies using very similar vaccines, um, so many of the animals died, the ferrets died um, of that re-exposure phenomenon, um, which was one of the biggest problems with um, with this whole uh, RNA vaccine business. So Dolores is absolutely correct. It is a very serious uh, risk. Uh, right now, it's theoretical. We may have to wait to see if that happens in a, in a sufficient uh, volume. That's magnanimous, I think. So what Dolores claims, her central point, it's possible. It's fair to say, I think, but, but, un, but unproven. I said, it yes. to her, I said it to her myself when she was here. I said, I hope you're wrong. And I spoke to another doctor from um, California uh, who, again, like Dolores, is concerned that, that, that this might happen. And uh, I suppose it's just one of the reasons why I wouldn't touch the... The, the, the vaccines with, with a barge pole. I would never tell anybody else what to do. How could I? I'm not qualified, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't take one of these things. And, and children then. I mean, you mentioned ethics earlier on, Roger, and obviously ethics are very important to you. You're very sincere when you, when you said that. You know, you couldn't stay silent. They're asking children, aren't they? Or they will. I know they've done it in the United States and I don't know about Canada. You can tell us in a moment. But they're asking youngsters to take something on behalf of somebody else. Now, that would have been unthinkable when you were going to university, when you were doing your degrees, that you would ask person A to take a treatment into themselves on behalf of person B, right? To it's, I'll summarise my feelings, uh, which are deep. This is state-sanctioned child abuse of the most grotesque degree. These children are not dying of this condition. There's not been a single death in North America under the age of 19 that's not been in a child who is already seriously ill. Children are not dying of COVID. If they get it, they brush it off as nothing more than a trivial cough and cold. So in God's name, why are we injecting an unsafe product into the arms of children who don't need it if it can produce serious complications? We're seeing them emerge already, not theoretical things such as fertility, which is, of course, is massive, but myocarditis. Um, 
fortunately, the WHO has come out, of course, in the last day or two with the statement that they, the WHO, of all people, finally got something right. It's amazing. The WHO is now saying that they don't recommend um, vaccines for children. They should be saying an absolute prohibition uh, on, on vaccines for children because of these complications, particularly of myocarditis, but also because of the, the theoretical risk, and I do want to underline that, the theoretical risk of future infertility. Tell us about the infertility, because before you come back in and answer that, the BBC has got a misinformation reporter. I'll give you a moment, Roger, to laugh out loud. Uh, A woman called Mariana Spring came out of nowhere a year or so ago, and they are telling anybody who will listen that claims that there is a risk of infertility, that those claims are flat-out fake news and they should be disregarded. And not only that, but anybody who says that stuff or who makes such a claim, they should have their Facebook accounts, they should have their YouTube accounts closed down. They're saying it's nonsense, there's no proof. Yeah. Well, let, let, me, let me explain um, briefly the reasons for concern. And they are simply concern, but it's based on science. The first thing is that reproductive reproduction uh, effects are always part of a clinical trial. They've not happened. The last time I checked, pregnancy takes nine months. How can you possibly check for fertility if you've done a, a clinical trial for four to six months and furthermore, intentionally excluded pregnant women? It's obviously impossible. But as to the theory as to why it could happen, it's different for boys and girls. We know from the, the, the submission that Pfizer gave to the Japanese government in Japanese that's just been translated that in the animal study that they used, they were using rats, they showed that the nanoparticles in the vaccine, uh, the particles themselves, located quite unexpectedly, bizarrely, in the ovaries. Very worrying. What does it mean? Answer, we don't know. know. Why don't we know? Because we haven't studied it. A huge red flag for the potential for female infertility. Quite apart from the the fact that the the ACE2 receptor for the spike protein is heavily expressed in the placenta and could well be causing spontaneous abortions. Again, not studied. On the male side of the equation, it's, it's quite different. Um, And by the way, people should know, (laughs) most people probably are unaware of this, but when a a baby girl is born, she has all the eggs in her ovaries right then that she's going to have for the rest of her life. They're not, you don't, little girls do not, women do not make more eggs as they get older. On the male side of the equation, it's quite different. We do know that that same receptor for the spike protein, which is some people is being produced in vast excess and unpredictably. We do know that a major, the the receptor for the spike protein is the ACE2 receptor, which is heavily expressed in the testis, heavily expressed in the testis, as well as the placenta. Not in the ovaries, by the way. The, 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 The course for potential infertility in girls is, as I said, quite different. We don't know the impact of the aggregation, potential aggregation of these nanoparticles in the ovary, we just don't know. But in males, um, clearly, uh, if the target for the spike protein is heavily expressed in the testes, 
then we need to exclude the possibility that that could, underlined, translate into male infertility. Now, those studies obviously take years. And they're not happening. They take years. They take years. It would be silly of me to say, okay then, doctor, do you have a message (laughs) to the parents of, of children who might be you know, inclined to allow them, because they're already talking about setting up the schools. I know you know this. I know you keep abreast of what's going on, not just in Canada, but everywhere else. They're they're going to set up hubs in classrooms to give this to children. So it would be silly of me to ask you, what would your message be to those parents? Because it's obvious, isn't it? Your message would be, don't allow or consent to your child having the jab vigorously oppose it it's child abuse it's in they're being intimidated into taking this vaccine peer pressure the school's authority it may even be required for entering university in some countries um it's simply outrageous um no child should ever be subjected to the possibility of something being injected into their bodies for no reason whatsoever that could cause them permanent harm it's as simple as that every parent should draw the line there the studies need to be done and they've not been done and if you're being intimidated into your child being vaccinated then consider making a a representation to the teacher to the principal to the superintendent of schools etc with a notice of liability which is a legal document that says to them, listen, I'm putting you on notice right here with this letter that if something terrible happens to me or my child, I am holding you personally responsible, not the organization, but you personally. Just think about that for a minute. That is an intimidation that they would never have experienced. And it's certainly worth trying if there's great pressure put on you as a parent to have your child vaccinated because they they think they are immune to prosecution but that would in that needs to be tested in court that is relative because what you're saying to them is you will have no defense of saying i did not know because i am telling you now that you should know so you're now on notice that you could be sued have i got your attention yet so we're, we're replacing the intimidation of the, the enforced vaccination with the intimidation of the threat of what could happen to you personally if you continue along those lines. And that could be very effective. It might be. And like you said, it's something that might be, could be or even might be tested in court. Dr. Roger Hodkinson is our guest. Edmonton in Canada at the moment. I mentioned at the top of the programme, I mentioned when Roger came on, distinguished doctor, got his general medical degrees in, obviously the very prestigious Cambridge University. Uh, He was a scholar at Corpus Christi College. He uh, became a Royal College certified general pathologist and a fellow of the Royal, excuse me, a fellow of the College of American Pathologists. And he's in good standing as a physician and surgeon. And it's really important that we get this perspective because... Well, we're not getting it through the legacy media. I think in the last few weeks, knowing that it is very controversial to ask a child or to ask a parent to consent to a child 
being vaccinated, not for themselves, but for granny. They've changed tactics a little bit, Roger. They're talking a lot about something called long COVID. And today was, well, it was long COVID day, I think. We should mark June the 22nd. They wouldn't shut up about it today. Long COVID and how, you know, children might seem fine and dandy. This is what they're telling us. But a child could get COVID and not be ill right now. The child could have COVID in his or her system and be fine, but that could lead them to getting long COVID where they might become very debilitated and fatigued and lethargic and sick for a year. Therefore, that might be a good reason to give them the COVID jab. What the hell is long COVID? Well, it's a very poorly defined entity. Um, uh, so many of the complaints could be, I'm using that word um, with emphasis, could be um, psychogenic in origin. Um, we, we just don't know the cause of these symptoms. Um, there, there are reports that uh, a certain agent that's used for depression, um, uh, fluoxime, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, because I'm not a clinician, um, it's an agent that's used for depression. There, there are reports that that is effective in countering the 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 brain um, complaints, the, the mental fog, and so on. Um, it, it's it's poorly studied. Um, does it exist at all? Uh, we don't know. Um, there's certainly a lot of complaints, and there seem to be some miraculous recoveries with this agent. Um, what we should remember here, of course, is that. The once the 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 vaccine gets into your body or post or after the infection itself, um, the principal method of attack within the rest of the body, other than the other other than the lungs, is an attack on the vascular system. That's why we're getting thromboses in the brain and in the legs. That's why there could be uh, premature um, mis there could be miscarriages. Uh, attacks potentially on on the testis and so on. So, if if the the ACE two receptor you see is on the inside of every blood vessel in the body, including the brain, and so it is conceivable um, that the attack on that ACE two receptor on the inside of every blood vessel, including the brain, um, by the spike protein, uh, could result in inflammatory an inflammatory reaction or a thrombotic reaction that's quite diffuse. Um, we don't know. Again, I keep on saying this, yeah. and I hope the repetition of it um, makes it clear that this is a totally unsafe, untested product that should never have been released because it was never needed. It's actually not, not being shown to be very effective at the end of the day. Um, it's producing lots of complications, and therefore it was reckless to do it, and all vaccinations of all people, not just children, should stop immediately because of those factors. You mentioned, one sorry, Roger. One of, which is, one of which is long COVID. My, my apologies for the interruption. You mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, and I didn't interject because I was saving it for now. You mentioned that you feel that there is evidence that some of the vaccines have had a very negative impact on, on senior people? You mentioned deaths. 
Yes, uh, people that are on the cusp of death, a couple of months away from death because of metastatic cancer or terminal heart failure, renal failure, they're exquisitely vulnerable to a final uh, minor um, attack that is enough to put them into a death spiral. We do, we do not understand in medicine the concept of frailty. We know people get frail in the, in the lay sense as, as people get older, which includes, by the way, a weakening of the immune system, not just your heart and your lungs and your kidneys and so on. But just because um, someone's on the cusp of death and they get what would otherwise have been a trivial infection, um, that doesn't mean to say they died due to COVID at all, even if the test was in their nose was positive. But we, we do not understand in medicine the cumulative effect of failure of all the organ systems simultaneously and how that goes into a final death spiral. We, ju we just don't understand that. But it takes at the most trivial um, additional brush on the cheek, so to speak, uh, in order to initiate that. I've heard from one or two seniors who've emailed the programme. One gentleman was in his very early 90s and he said, Richie, I, like you, don't know very much about medicine, but my immune system has done me, has done me okay to this point in my life. I, I, I'll just stick with that. Because I did hear the health secretary say today, clearly to the BBC Radio 4 programme, he said, um, take the two jams, they give you 95% protection against the virus. But by their own statistics, and you've poured over the statistic, statistics, Roger, our immune system gives us 99% or 98.9% protection against the virus. Am I being a bit glib when I say that, or is that no, right? No, you're being absolutely correct. The immune system is the most miraculous organ in our body. That it's, um, it's the... It's a wonder of the world. Um, just think about it for a minute, um, Richie. I, I used to tell this to medical students. We spent 80 years of our lives with shit in our belly. Right. <laughs> and, and every second, there's likely to be penetration of that single cell layer that separates the shit from our blood vessels. And those bugs that are getting in probably every second or more are miraculously knocked off, not just at 99.99999% efficiency, but at 100.00000% efficiency for 80 years. And there are so many of them breaking that barrier all the time, and we never die of it. That shows you how incredibly miraculous our immune system is. And it's so set up that it detects commonality. So, you know, we've all had coughs and colds and we've created, we've created uh, antibodies to them and T-cell immunity to them. That produces cross-reactivity to related viruses such as this one. So that well before the COVID pandemic, everybody had a certain degree of immunity to COVID-19. Some more, some less. But there's enormous cross-reactivity, and, and indeed, to the, to the variants as well. The, the percentage variation in the genome of these dreaded variants is no more than 3%. Um, 
And our, our immune system is perfectly capable of seeing the common features um, of these variants, these mutants, um, and knocking them off. Um, we don't need um, to even contemplate booster jabs with addressing the variant, totally unnecessary, a, a big pharma ploy to simply make more billions out of a pandemic that should never have started in the first place. And the politicians are not being too subtle about tying in freedoms going forward with assenting to those booster jabs. And this kind of worries me. Roger, to a point I'm coming to terms with it, that I might have to live a different life. But they're not being too subtle about it, that the vaccines are the way to freedoms. Matt Hancock said this clearly to Sky News this morning. Um, Go ahead. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. The vaccines are not a path to freedom. The vaccines are a way of getting them off the hook that they created for themselves. And you, useful idiots, are going to help me get off the hook to preserve my own reputation, because then at the end of the day, I'm going to say to you, see, I wrestled it to the ground for you. Well, you know what? It was never necessary to wrestle it to the ground in the first place. You created this monster and you're using us to get you off the hook. Is there something else going on at the same time? I asked this not knowing the answer. Obviously, I don't know the answer. But I've been listening to people like June Rain from the MHRA over the years, talking about how in the future, our relationship with medicine and healthcare is going to change. And it's, they wanted to move away from treating people when people become ill, which you've done 100,000 times in your lifetime, Roger, to preventing illness. And there are yeah. a number of vaccines in development for all sorts of things like diabetes. There's even vaccines in development against obesity. And I wonder, are they using this opportunity, as you described it earlier, to accustom us to taking vaccines in the future as a matter of course, I wonder? I I think they're shooting themselves in the foot because the truth will out. They cannot suppress the rational analysis of all the madness that started right from the very get-go. And they will, be, they will be emperors without clothes. Reputations will be trashed. There'll be blood in the gutter when all this is done because the madness of it will be there for everyone to see. And there could be a very unfortunate consequence of that is of that be, of people being opposed to vaccination in general, which would be a terrible thing for public health. So they, they may be shooting themselves in the foot here because you, you cannot suppress the madness of this forever. It's going, books w- will be, are being written, I'm sure, at this very moment. People like um, Alex Berenson, uh, books are being written that will document chapter and verse about how this was totally artificial, totally unnecessary, massively dangerous, and let's hope it it did not result in mass infertility. I sincerely hope that does not happen. Of course. But my goodness, if it does, can you imagine the consequences, the backlash against these politicians who was putting that word out on billboards everywhere, four words, four letters, 
S-A-F-E, safe, no qualifications to it whatsoever. A grotesque lie. Why don't we learn even recent lessons? I covered the the narcolepsy problems with the swine flu vaccine, which usually rolls off my tongue, the name of that vaccine, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. But that's only been 10 years ago. And right. and I wonder why people are so quick. I mean, I, I run daily. You'll be glad to know, doctor, I run 46 years of age, but I run daily and I look after myself. I don't smoke, never have done in my life. And I run and I run past the vaccination centre in Salford, which is on Liverpool Street. And it's ramoed, it's jammed all the time with people filing in. And I yeah. think to myself, why don't they remember 10 years ago when another untried jab caused so much misery to so many people? We've got short memories. And, and of course, there's th- thalidomide too. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, uh, sadly, Big Pharma cannot be trusted to relay to the, um, the CDC and the FDA um, reliable data. Uh, it's, it's often skewed to get approval for the product. And of course, the haste with which this product was approved it was, was also um, despicable. Um, you can't possibly review mountains of data in the speed that, that they, in the time that they took. Um, it was just passed right through. Um, so I, I, I think I, I'm not really, I'm a pes- I, I feel awfully depressed now about it all. But I think when, when finally the dominoes start falling and, um, you know, Fauci's head is lopped off um, and, and books are written, um, there will be the most, um, the most brutal backlash against these politicians. They've got their re-election chances right on the line here um, because of the deception that's been going on. And people will not forgive them. We said we do an hour, and I don't want to take up any more of your time. Um, so thanks for, for sticking with us for the time you have done. Is there anything off the top of your head that you had planned on saying that, I've, that you've not managed to say because I've not got, gotten around to it? And if there is, um, of course, feel free to say, to, to, to say it now. But thanks for sharing your time with us and your expertise and, and giving us this other... Um, side of what's been going on, I think it, it'll be very valuable to people and I hope it'll be very valuable to parents because that's hugely important. But Roger, if there is anything you did want to mention, uh, I suppose now's the time to, to say it. Well, I'd like to do another show with you on two specific subjects. The It's too short a time to elaborate. Um, shedding is something that needs to be uh, addressed. And so does this new phenomenon of um, apparently... Uh, magnetic particles being part of um, the the vaccine that that's being injected. Uh, that could be we could leave that for another day. But to to close, I, I would say this very simply: for everyone listening, believe nothing you're being told. It's all a pack of lies. You, the general public, are infinitely better at managing this than any of the medical officers and the ministers that are involved, you've got a thing called common sense that they lack. And you should rely on that because your gut is telling you this something very, very clearly. 
there's something smelly in the date in the state of Denmark. Let's schedule something for a couple of weeks from now because the shedding issue is obviously very important. We did talk about this on fair earlier. Um, thanks for your time, Roger. I'm I'm greatly appreciative of it. I have to mention again, uh, it was very short notice you coming on. I reached out to you because there's been so much talk today about vaccinating children. Dr. Roger Hodkinson in Edmonton in Canada. It was a pleasure, Roger. Thanks for your time. Richie, it's it's been my pleasure and I do appreciate the opportunity of getting the the counter-narrative out. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. That was Dr. Roger Hodkinson, live from Edmonton, Alberta in Canada. Uh, today, uh, thanks to him. I'll put links out, by the way, to where you can find out more about Roger. You'll be able to do that. And um, we'll pick it up again with him in a couple of weeks because when we chatted off air today, one of the things we did talk about was this shedding phenomenon. And I shared with him stories that I'd been hearing through the phone-ins. I want to mention Kelly, again, my old pal from Facebook. Kelly, who's a London, a London lady, but her family are Irish, Kelly Marr, who brought it to my attention that women were having menstrual issues. And this became a big viral thing on Facebook, where women were saying that being in the presence of people who had been vaccinated seemed to be messing around with their menstruation cycle, if I said that right. So we said we'd get into that today. And look, we're running out of time and there's a lot in that. So we'll do that in a couple of weeks. In any case, right then, here's the tune. And when I come back, I will, of course, read out some or all or as many as I can of your comments. Because it's now 21 minutes to 7 o'clock, I'm Richie Allen, the BBG. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show. There's none like it, is there? He says, modestly. <laughs> David Bowie.
the Duke, the Duke. And let's dance on your Richie Allen radio show. The time is 18 minutes to the top of the hour. Ah, the big baldy head in me. Had the razor out today, the straight razor. I've not got so much as a hair on me head. I love that in the summer, just getting the razor and giving it the full... I don't know. Who's completely bald? Duncan Goodhue. <laughs> you have to be old. Duncan Goodhue, he was, uh, he was a swimmer. And a very good swimmer was he. Rob O'Brien, how you doing, Rob O'Brien? He says, Richie, I'm willing to bet my life that their next move will be to say the gene therapy will also cure long novid. I reckon you're right, Rob. I think they're doing it already, aren't they? Matthew, or Montenegro Matt. How you doing, Montenegro Matt? Richie, it's excellent to hear Dr. Roger Hodkinson, an eminent professional, speak with integrity and dispelling the myths of testing, social isolation, asymptomatic spreading and vaccines. Matt says, the goal of this is control, but I must disagree that the cult are taking advantage of an accident. The lockstep aspect, linguistic programming and speed at which the signs, distancing stickers, temperature checkers and masks appeared suggests long-term planning. Mrs. Windsor's contribution, calling all jab refusenik selfish, has had a devastating effect on persuading older generations to act against their own interests. That's a brilliantly written email, Matt. Thank you. Do I agree? I don't know, Matt. I suppose I do. I understand Roger's point of view, and I respect it greatly. There are those of my friends who understand that it's a scam. COVID is a scam, meaning that it isn't that serious for most of us. There are friends of mine who believe the vaccines are dangerous, but they share Dr. Hodkinson's opinion that the elites, for want of a better word, have taken advantage of it. My bet is that it's part of a long-term plan. That's what I think. But the reason I don't jump down his throat and argue with him is because there's no need to do that, is there? I respect the man and it's a point of view that is expressed elsewhere in the Richie Allen programme. I did point out to Dr. Hodkinson that there are those learned men and women who think that it is part of a bigger agenda. So I did my job in, 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 that, in that sense. But, you know, my opinions are well known. And you bring people on who have different opinions uh, than you. Richard Kelly says, I think the nursing homes and hospitals are kill zones right now. That's what Richard uh, thinks. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate that. And the lovely Christine got back to me. Way back at the top of the programme, I was very unkind at Christine, to Christine, for, for the way she formatted her email. She formatted an email to me in a way that, well, nobody could make head or tail of it. She got back to me to say, Richie, it's only Tuesday. Uh, that was a joke, a bit sarcastic I was trying to be, she says. Thanks, Christine. Christine might be in God's country, in Ireland in Erinua, as Jean Ann would call it. Uh, Spiro was on to me uh, during the conversation with uh, Roger. Always very helpful. Why wouldn't he be? Top journalist is Spiro Skouras. And when Roger brought up magnetism with me this afternoon in the pre-chat, I mentioned Spiro to Roger. 
and I said, Spiro, my pal Spiro, he tried to debunk the magnetism thing, where this notion that some people who have received a vaccine, they become magnetic temporarily, maybe, maybe longer, who knows. Spiro set out to debunk it. And I think he tried it out on 10 people, maybe more, and some of them appeared to be at least momentarily magnetic. Yes, I know. I, I, I Like Spiro, I would be inclined to laugh that sort of thing out of town. <laughs> but, but I don't do that. I keep an open mind to everything, you know. All right, I don't keep an open mind to everything. Don't call me out on it, I know. I know. Look, I'm I'm just as much of a hypocrite sometimes as everybody else. Hi to octogenarian Ronaldo. Important, Ron, tonight, because we talked about taking the vaccine, not taking the vaccine. Ron is certainly not having the vaccine. Hi to Jean, Ron, if Jean is listening as well. Hi to David Keane, who says, Richie, if you get time, please shout out to a first-time listener called Tori Lee Keane. Tori Lee Keane. David's daughter is 16 years old and has been listening to this with great interest. How you doing, Tori Lee? It's a great name, by the way. That's the name of a superstar. Tori Lee Keane. I bet you she can sing and dance. Maybe she can, maybe she can't. Uh, you can contact me at any time through the, rep- through the website, richieallen.co.uk. My old pal, not so old, she might say, Patricia, in Zurich, said, said Richie, excellent discussion with Roger, and I look forward to the next one. Uh, thanks, Richie. I should have had Roger on before. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just hadn't gotten around to it. But um, important. You see, these things, I think synchronicity, when it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Bob says, Richie, Roger said, well said, Richie, says Bob, Roger doesn't need to believe in the Great Reset to show that it's insane to give the jab to healthy people under 60. He remains more credible and accessible to those on the fence who might not have believed a full red pillar. Good point, Bob. It's a very good point. And you made it in a very unpatronising way. Good point. Absolutely. Ultimately, what the hell do I know? Nothing. I'm a layman, a layperson. I thought thought, um, Roger was very scientific and very magnanimous in talking about Dolores's theory about antibody development enhancement, dependent, excuse me, antibody dependent enhancement and pathogenic priming, the same thing. He says it's theoretically possible and could be very problematic, whereas he would find reason to disagree with Dolores elsewhere. But isn't that science, isn't it? Eh? It's the way it's supposed to be. No, he was um, very interesting. A gentleman, I would say, and I look forward to him coming back on the programme in the future. Indeed. Hi to Sonny Sweet Gaia. Hi to my pal Colm in Dublin. How you doing, Colm? Darren says, Richie, the doctor was fascinating. Looking forward to hearing him again. Uh, spare a thought for the Philippine people as well. That guy read all the wrong books, didn't he? Rodrigo Duterte. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, he's. Uh, he, he, he addressed his not-so-adoring public last night and he said get the jab or go to jail (laughs) those are your options have the jab or go to jail don't pass go don't collect $200 hi to Bill hi to Klaus Klaus says Richie 
I, uh, great guest. I thought I was listening to Christopher Hitchens for a minute. Thank you, Klaus. He was great. Rob says, Richie, good interview. Just confused how the doctor can say, I don't believe, or how the doctor can say, do not believe anything you hear. And the fake vaccines are dangerous. But he doesn't believe there's anything malicious going on. Surely the obvious answer is, why are they continuing with it all then? Well, he gave his answer, Rob. Roger gave his answer clearly. He said the vaccine programme is to get them out of a jam of their own making. That's what he said, and that is what he believes. Like I said, I lean towards something else going on, but I'm not in the same airspace as Dr. Roger Hodkinson. You know, when it comes to medicine, what the hell do I know? I think it's what he sincerely believes, so I respect it. Angela says, Richie, he was a breath of fresh air. I can't wait for him to come onto the programme again. Right, thanks for all of those. Right, good job, right. I don't know what we're going to do. I really don't. You know, I've been talking about this with friends, with family. What are we going to do? These jabs for privileges. (laughs) I laugh out loud. Saying it out loud makes me laugh out loud. This idea, boosters. And this idea... Hancock said today, didn't he, we are working on whether or not we can give a flu vaccine for winter 2021-2022. That's winter, December, January, February to come. Can we give them a flu jab and a COVID booster at the same time? And of course, the gormless presenters don't think to ask Hancock, do you mean you're trialling that right now? Health secretary... Have you got people lining up to be jabbed? Um, and they're tying this in with freedoms. I mean, I'm never, ever going to have one of the jabs. I didn't even... I can't remember. When I went to spend a summer or part of a summer in Costa Rica in 2002... <clears throat> excuse my, excuse me for coughing, in, in San Jose, Costa Rica, I and I was going to be in the jungle, I was going to be in country. I don't know if I took malaria pills or a malaria shot. I can't remember. Maybe I did, I don't know. But prior to that, you'd have to go back to my childhood for the, B, for, for the BCG jab, the polio thing. I've never been jabbed. I'm not going to have any of these jabs. I believe the pressure is going to become... Intense. I know, I know I'm only repeating what I said last night and what I said last Thursday, but I think it bears repeating. It's going to be two-tier intense. You know, if you don't have it, well, you really can't go here, you can't go there, you shouldn't really go there. And that's going to be interesting, isn't it? And, and I have had emails from people, and I could read them out now, but I won't. I had an email, a very poignant one, which I didn't get permission to read, from a gentleman, it even read tearful. A gentleman who said to me, Richie, I am in love with a woman from another country. And I haven't seen her in ages and ages. I've had the first jab, Richie. He said to me in the email. I've had the first jab. She's in the Far East. I've had the first jab and it's killing me that I had to go along with it. Because I can't bear to be without her. She's not on board the, with the agenda. It's not that she wants to jab either. Both of them are alive to what's going on. 
he didn't give me permission to read it out, but he said, I've had the jab and I, I will have to have the second one. Otherwise, I know I, I won't be able to be with her anytime soon. How dreadful. Dreadful, dreadful stuff, you know. Tiffany came on to tweet, Dolores versus Dr. Roger, let's have it. I don't think so. Don't think there's any need to set up any debate between Dolores and uh, Dr. Roger Hodkinson. Uh, he made it clear that he understands and agrees with the possibility put out there by Dolores that these things might cause cytokine storms or whatever the bloody hell the terminology is. That if you have these jabs in six months or eight months or 12 months, when you are exposed to another seasonal infection, that your immune system might turn into ramble and go after the infection, if it's in a vital organ, say, and, and cause you serious damage. He didn't say he disagrees with that. He says it's possible. But time will, will, will tell us, won't it? I think, of course, that if it does come to pass, Dolores' prediction, they'll blame organ failure and general serious ill health on variants, scariants. Of course they will. They're not going to say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dolores Carl was right, by the way. This is pathogenic priming. Oh dear, silly us. We should never have authorised those vaccines through emergency use procedures. Jesus, we wish we hadn't done it. Of course they're not going to fess up. <laughs> they're going to say it's the Ballybeg variant. They're going to say it's the Lismore Park variant. Those are suburbs of Waterford City, by the way. That's what they're going to say. They're going to say it's the Cleggan variant. That's the reason why people are losing their kidneys and their spleens. They're not going to say, yeah, Jesus, we were wrong. We wish we hadn't rolled out those vaccines. The scariants are the get-out-of-jail cards for forevermore. Aren't they, really? Oh, well, what are you going to do? We could just Bacardi the bejesus out of ourselves and just laugh in our front gardens. That's what I'm planning to do. I'm going to have a bench, lovely bench and a lovely table put in my front garden. And as this plays out, I'm just going to sit there, semi-pissed most of the day, on Bacardi and Coke and enough crisps and peanuts to see me through. And I'll just laugh as it unfolds because what else can you do but laugh, you know? I won't be drunk when I'm on air now. I'll still maintain some modicum of professionalism when I come on air with you at five o'clock. But the rest of the time I'll be swimming in Bacardi. Uh, two out of 13, Spiro reminds me. Two out of 13 people showed some magnetic tendencies after having one of the jabs. So there you are. Hey, my old pal Gareth Ike is on the programme this week, by the way, on Thursday. It's been too long. I think last time he was on was back in November. We're going to have a right giggle on Thursday. Nice day to do it too, uh, seeing out the week. So he, he's with me uh, Thursday. As usual, I can't tell you who's on tomorrow because I don't have the diary to hand. But that's just the way of it. Thanks to Dr. Roger Hodkinson. I will schedule a repeat, uh, a repeat, a return for Roger in two weeks' time. He's keen to come back, which is nice. We'll talk about shedding zen. We'll talk about magnetism and other things. And I will put your questions to him at that time too. Are you watching the game? Do you not give an arse? I sincerely hope for my Scottish brethren 
and Sistran, who, who are interested in soccer. Uh, William, for example. I hope Scotland beat Croatia tonight and, and qualify for the latter stages of this year's European Championships. So you might be watching the game if you are. Enjoy it. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Do share the podcast when it's online with all and sundry. He's a good one now, Roger Hodkinson. That's one I would be sharing with somebody who might be on defence and who might be, well, they might find it useful to get a learned perspective on what's going on. Do share it when it comes across your desk. Going out with the Beach Boys. Thanks for your company as usual. I've been the BBG until tomorrow, Wednesday at five o'clock. Bye now.